0: Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains Adventure Podcast. Today's guest is ski instructor, mountain leader, and all-round adventurer, Emily Scott.
1: But They're amazing hills, and I'd gone... Yeah, I just had the most incredible day up with them. And that was one that, you know, it was, it was a big day, and I ended up like I was still up high at sunset. And again, it was like a sea of clouds, and just... Yeah, just these amazing colours, and just... I don't know, there's something just so special about kind of that feeling of like being at the top of a mountain or like on a mountain and being like above the clouds and above Mm. the weather and stuff. It's just, ah, amazing.
0: Emily Scott leaving full-time accounting behind has chosen to pursue adventure and happiness. And in doing so, has found herself with ski instructing qualifications, summer mountain leader qualifications, and is now pursuing international mountain leader qualifications too, which is a total dream. (laughs) Um, But we're also going to be chatting about her adventures too. Just the countless Ironman competitions she's done. Manifestation, positivity, resilience as well, and just tenacity in completing stages of races, even though everything is against you. We're going to chat a little bit about Project 282 as well, but that's going to be more in depth next week. Project 282 was all about climbing all of the Munros in one long continuous stream of 120 days. And for my non UK listeners, just a reminder a Munro is a mountain in Scotland over 3,000 feet. That's a general rule to apply there. So I really, really hope you enjoy the episode. If you do enjoy it while you're listening, then feel free to drop a five-star review on iTunes. It does help in a big way and tell your friends, but otherwise sit back or concentrate on driving wherever, whichever you're doing. And I hope you enjoy the interview. Let's get into it. Emily, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Yeah, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Oh, it's a total, total pleasure. It's going to be really fun diving into the, the stuff you've done and uh, Project 282 and more. So um, I, first question really from me is you, you you are a full-time chartered accountant and you've decided to take the leap into adventure. What was it that made you take that jump? Uh,
1: that's a really good question. I'm already uh, thinking. Um, I think, to be honest, A large part of it was probably just when I was full-time accountancy I just found more and more I was trying to do things um at weekends and kind of pushing myself like physically um so I was doing uh it was basically I started kind of doing some running and then I got into doing triathlons and stuff and um So, yeah, I just I got to a point that I was spending like every weekend that I was doing kind of racing or like going up to climb some hills and things. And, yeah, I think one really key moment for me was I specifically remember sitting sitting at my desk in London and one of my friends sent me a link to this adventure race and said, do you fancy doing it? And I'm quite a quite a yes person that I'll just be a bit like dive straight in and say yes without necessarily really thinking about what's actually entailed and this is exactly what happened with that. And I agreed to this adventure race that was in Wales. Um, and yeah, like kind of the the preparation for that, I guess, probably helped me really, really kind of hone in on like my love for, for the outdoors and for adventure and for also for challenging myself physically. And I think, you know, I'd kind of been getting a fair bit of that from doing like triathlons and things, but actually then kind of combining it with... know the elements and on an adventure race it's effectively like large-scale orienteering you're kind of navigating your way from point to point and you're making decisions as to whether you're hitting certain points or whether you're taking the time deduction instead for not going there um and it was just it was a fantastic experience it's also still one of those things so this is in 2014 i think it was And it was at the tail end of a hurricane. Um, And so they had to like change parts of the routes and stuff just because it was too, like one of the kayaks got cut short because it was too wavy and like, you know, like this and that, but, um, and the weather was savage, but like, you know, we learned a lot and I was with three friends and, you know, we became really good friends as a result of doing doing that race. And we learned a lot about ourselves and about each other. And um, yeah, I think kind of a lot of things have kind of stemmed off the back of that, to be honest.
0: Mm. I I mean you've you've spoken before about how important it is to be sort of pursuing happiness I I, I mean essentially that that is that what kind of took your goal I mean I I know you said in a previous podcast that money's never really been the key deciding factor for you.
1: Yeah and I think um, you know obviously money is one of those things that obviously you need a certain amount of money to be able to live and it's um you know I've, I've definitely said this before it's like I've kind of viewed money more as a facilitator rather than as the goal itself um and you know obviously there's there's certain times that you kind of need to put put some other dreams on a on a shelf for a moment and like actually just focus on earning some money or whatever and then there might be other times that you can actually think more about the other things that you want to achieve and hopefully you've got um, maybe saved up a bit of money to enable you to do that or else you know use your credit card uh <laughs> I, I can't say i condone using credit card financing for things so it's not very good um but <laughs> do as i say not as i do i think it's yeah. one of those things you know i, I certainly have have said yes to things that perhaps I shouldn't have that, you know, realistically I perhaps have overstretched myself financially. But yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, you don't, when you die, you don't get to take your money with you. And, you know, when it, when it comes to the end, I'd much rather be at a point that I'm like, yeah, like actually, I did some pretty cool stuff. I'm pretty happy with my life rather than being like, yeah, I've got loads of money. Uh, I
0: think, yeah. Yeah. I, I think a quote so um, that keeps popping up, which is, no one ever sits in their deathbed wishing they had more money
1: exactly yeah and i mean you know obviously there's there's certain things that you know if you've got children or whatever you probably do want to be having some money that you're able to leave them and things like that but you know it's just it obviously comes down to what your own personal circumstances are and stuff and you know where I am in life I probably lead more of a hand-to-mouth existence than I perhaps should and uh, I know one of my friends is quite horrified whenever she talks about pensions and things and I'm like yeah I've probably got about enough in a pension to sustain me for maybe a year um (laughs) that's probably a bad thing to admit isn't it um and yeah I mean obviously the the transition from from being a (laughs) full-time accountant you know that's obviously a nice A nice stable like career and you know it's good good financial security for sure and stuff um but to be honest like when I was full-time in London I spent so much more than I do now because you know I would just be like oh I'll just enter this race at the weekend I'll like hire a car so I can go and do that race like I'll I'll fly here for the weekend I'll go out drinking on a Thursday night like you know it's kind of spend 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 whereas I think now I'm probably better about being like right well I don't have that much money but i do need to get this or like okay i'm gonna do this race but that's going to be the only race that i'm going to do and i'm going to build up towards that and that's going to be kind of my focus or whatever so it's just um yeah i guess kind of dealing with yeah like the the resources available to you and i think with a certain amount of like adventures and stuff you know i feel like you know you can start pretty easily just by having a pair of trainers and a backpack and some waterproofs you know like you know it doesn't you don't need to go to Everest or to the South Pole and, you know, have these, like, really expensive um, expeditions. Like, that's not necessarily the way to start. And certainly with my trips in Scotland and stuff, you know, it's kind of like, well, once you've actually, you know, you've got your hiking, like, your shoes or your boots and you've got poles and a tent. And, yeah, obviously these things do add up, but kind of once you, like, have the kit, like, you can actually go and do so much with it and you don't need to spend a ton of money to to go and like Mm. have an amazing time and like, you know, properly feel alive. And, you know, I probably feel, it always sounds a bit corny if I say it, but, you know, I feel at my most alive, like when I'm up at the top of a hill and, you know, maybe getting blown around by the wind and probably haven't spent any money getting there or maybe bought myself some lunch. Like, you know, it's kind of.
0: yeah um, You can't put a price on happiness and it can, it can come so cheaply. And I don't know if anyone listening as well has been to the same thing. I've been there before where, I've been fortunate enough to be sat in a job where I was earning more than my fair share of money, but fifty-five hours a week and didn't do anything else, and it it was miserable. And I was just thinking, I'd do anything just to have like break-even point each month and and be out like doing something like that you enjoy, you know
1: yeah exactly exactly and I think you know I've kind of so um when I left full-time accountancy I went to um I started my route towards becoming a ski instructor mm. um and you know that's kind of and I'm now also working so I've got my um so I'm a level three BASE ski instructor so BASE the British Association of Snow Sports Instructors and that's like a kind of internationally recognized qualification or at least it was before Brexit but let's not talk about that um <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then um, I've also kind of done my summer mountain leader qualification and I'm working towards my international mountain leader. And, you know, like I don't have a particularly clear set plan or set pathway, but in my head anyway, I've always kind of been quite like, I've always had something that I'm working towards. And so it's like, be that an accountancy qualification or a ski instructor qualification or a mountain leader qualification. But it's kind of like, I mean, my aim with having these kind of things is that, hopefully I can kind of get to a point that you know I can be in the mountains and I'm also kind of funding my lifestyle doing that and you know it's like yeah a day that you're ski teaching and you're teaching beginners and it's a beautiful bluebird powder day like you probably would much rather not be being a ski instructor (laughs) um (laughs) but you know because it is it is still a job but at the same time you know the amount of times that I'm out ski teaching and yeah like as I say you're not maybe having the most fun skiing as you would if you're just out skiing with your mates but like the amount of times I'll just kind of look around myself and be like I mean this is a pretty awesome office to be honest um and yeah I realize like you know I'm obviously super fortunate that I'm in a position that I can kind of do the things that I'm passionate about but also I'm I'm aware that you know there's (sighs) It's funny. It's one of those things like, you know, people talk about luck a lot and I have this that people will kind of be like, oh, you're really lucky. But it is it's about choices. And it's um, yeah, I mean, it's fortunate to be in a position that you can make those choices. But at the same time, you know, like making the decision to move away from a secure full-time career as an accountant to then be Mm -hmm. like right I don't really know what I'm doing but I really like (laughs) mountains so uh, let me go hang out in the mountains and kind of work out things I can do to be there.
0: A brilliant segue you just put there as well because I mean people love different places and and, you know people love beaches, jungles, deserts, cities uh, and you mentioned you know you get your best days from being sort of smacked about a bit on a mountain from the wind. (laughs) um, (laughs) For you what is it what is it about the mountains that makes it your favourite place? Ah,
1: uh, I just, it's one of those things that I don't even think I can, I can't describe it, like, I can't describe the feeling properly, but there's something, I mean, I've definitely had times that, you know, like, especially if you're like, so I really like a physical challenge. Like, I like to push myself physically and kind of, you know, like, to work hard to get something. So, you know, be that hiking up a hill or, you know, like, yeah, running, far or whatever like I mean I'm never going to be the quickest or whatever anything really like I'm definitely a a jack of all trades master of none kind of girl Mm. um but there's something about you know if you like put you know you've gone for a big hike or something and then just that feeling whenever you like get to to the top or somewhere where like the view opens up and sometimes you just like you just find yourself in these situations that like I'm just will suddenly get somewhere that I'm like, I just can't help but smile. And like, I could be totally on my own, but it's just like, wow, this place is amazing. And that's definitely, I mean, to a limited degree, I have got it in other places, but it's just kind of something that I find it in the mountains on a regular basis. And, you know, it's kind of be that in the Hills of Scotland, be that in Snowdonia, be that in the Alps. Like um, I've been, I went to the Caucasus a couple of times and that as well like just like wow like you know when you're just like standing like we climbed this 5,000 meter peak in um, in Georgia and that was I mean that was a hell of an adventure actually it was very much like a last minute bit of a plan that we had a different plan that the weather wasn't going to be on so we were just like right uh, I think three days beforehand we decided that we'd go to Georgia and kind of Rushed together this trip and actually it was amazing um but yeah I mean like these mountains that you know we're right at the top of this mountain and just like just having like these like vistas for like hun- like well maybe not hundreds of miles but like many miles around you and just like wow like I don't know there's something yeah it's just I don't know you can probably hear it in my voice I just like <laughs> think about the mountains and just yeah. think about those days and just being out and like yeah but you know at the same time you probably have Certainly in Scotland, anyway, the amount of bad days I've had at Mills are <laughs> pretty high as well. Um, but then like, even on even on those kind of days like yeah, it's raining all day and it's sideways wind, so you're getting the rain blown in your face and it's miserable, there's probably still somewhere in that that, you know, the view might suddenly open out or like, you know, you, I don't know, have an encounter with an eagle or a ptarmigan or something else and, you know, there's just, there's always kind of, good things to be had and I don't know I just I just love that feeling of like yeah being properly out in the outdoors in the mountains it's yeah.
0: So you said elsewhere in the Outdoors Fix podcast about having to make sacrifices when you're choosing the outdoors because you you know not all your friends are doing the same thing how hard do you find it to balance the outdoors and friends?
1: Um, That's that's a really good question and actually I think that wedding that I had was quite a uh, uh it made me really kind of think like you know if I was 250 Monroe's in and I wasn't going to make it back for the wedding what was the priority and you know like it was a really tricky one and I was I was really open with my friend whose wedding it was and I was kind of like you know I really want to be there and I'm going to try my utmost to be there but I don't know if you know if it gets to if I've committed, especially if I was going to miss the wedding, then I would have been, you know, looking at four and a half months by then. And it's kind of like, well, if I've committed that much of my life to it, then does is a wedding really justifiable to kind of put it on pause when it's, you know, the, the whole element of it being a continuous journey was really important to me, actually. Um, but, and you know, and that's a tricky one, because obviously for the person whose wedding it is, there's nothing that's more important than their wedding. Um so, yeah, I guess I think I'm quite, quite good at staying in touch with people. And also I'm, how would I say it? I perhaps don't have too much shame in the sense of I've not spoken to someone for, say, a year or whatever. And then I am find myself in their neck of the woods. I've got no qualms with, you know, sending them a message and being like, oh, I'm down like near you this week. Like, can we meet up or whatever? Um And I think that's something that I've probably I've done that for years because I do find I think you know it's it's probably something that you know from doing seasonal jobs you know you get these friends who become really close with and you're in quite an intense situation with you know like especially like working ski seasons and stuff and you form friendships really quickly and they are good friendships but then you don't see each other for ages Um, but it is nice to just then be like right okay I'm going to be near you like let's do something and obviously it's a bit different at the moment but um, it is I think certainly to start with like whenever I left London I think some of my friends found it quite strange that I was you know kind of turning away from the kind of slightly more conventional lifestyle and then I think some of them maybe didn't necessarily quite understand and I probably wasn't very good at articulating kind of my rationale for some things and, um, you know, maybe didn't help people to understand. But I think, you know, most of my friends now are probably like, what crazy thing are you doing this time? And, you know, and it's just kind of like, oh yeah, Scotty's the crazy one, that's fine. <laughs> you know, um, doing the things like the mountain leader and stuff and training for the for the international mountain leader, it's, it's actually been really nice to then kind of feel more, uh, I guess, capable and qualified to then actually, try and share these experiences with my friends and you know then be like okay like let's do a trip here and um like Mm. I think I think we spoke before we were recording just about like doing the Tour de Mont Blanc with some of my friends in the summer and like you know that was a, a really special experience and it was just so nice to kind of to share that with some really good friends and you know and I think it helps them understand why I do it a lot more whenever they actually see me in that environment and they're like okay yeah you're just like so much happier
0: and one thing you said was that you love Scotland so much that you like to think Scotland loves you back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And
0: it got me down the, down the thinking of, you know, manifestation and, uh, and, you know, putting out in the world and, and getting it back. Do, do you, do you kind of eat, eat, Like I, I don't particularly believe in the spiritual way, just in the literal, the social science way, but I like, do you kind of have that approach just having a positive mindset to things and, and, and getting that back from what you put in.
1: Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it is your mindset can be a really really powerful tool and you know you can be going out and I guess I've used kind of the weather example quite a lot but you know you go out in terrible weather and you can if you think like oh it's an awful day I'm gonna have a terrible time you chances are you will have a terrible time but if you go out and I'm like yeah it's a terrible day but hey I've got waterproofs I've got spare layers I've got snacks with me like you know the clouds might lift for a bit I might get wet but hey I can go splash in puddles and once you get to like I find you know once you're once you soak through it doesn't matter if you get any more wet so then it can be kind of fun as well and um yeah and I think you know kind of just your outlook definitely helps you know with with that and I think it is it's a really powerful tool and yeah I know I've said that thing about Scotland which is maybe a little bit embarrassing um but
0: I feel the it's, same way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's weird though because I genuinely like have a little part of me that's like, yeah, like if you like something enough, I mean, you know, I probably wouldn't use it as like relationship advice or anything. You might turn into a crazy stalker person or whatever. But you know, like, I don't know. I think you know, if, if you're determined on seeing the positives in something, then you probably can find some positives and then you can kind of go from there. So, um, yeah, yeah I mean, my little joke about scotland that's just kind of more like well, i've had enough bad days there but i still absolutely love it and then the good days are always ones that you know they blow you away and it's just yeah. sometimes sometimes literally um, i have been blown <laughs> off my feet more than once in scotland but um, yeah
0: at this point we started talking about project 282 which was emily's Self supported, unassisted mission to climb all of the 282 Munros in Scotland. We went about it in such depth that I've actually taken that segment and I've made it its own separate episode next week, which you can uh, find right here on the channel. So come back next week to find out more about Project 282. But here is a question I ask her about Munros. Let me know what you think. Munros. Weren't really something that you prepared for, and especially seeing as you're a mountain leader and ski instructor, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this. You didn't really prepare for Project Two Eight Two; you just went and did it. So I was wondering, do you see the value in heading out on these sort of adventures spur of the moment, no matter your experience?
1: Um, really good question. That actually, um, I think. I would feel foolish to say yeah just go out and do something with no experience like I think you know I mean when I set out to the Munro's yeah I didn't train oh. specifically to do the Munro's but I wasn't going in completely blind and I didn't know what I was up against at all like, I'd kind of so I'd lived in Edinburgh for a period about two years before that and I think when I was living in Edinburgh I probably went and climbed maybe about 40 probably about 40 of the Munros, just kind of you know going and bagging hills at weekends and um, yeah it was a bit unintentional but it was just kind of yeah going and climbing hills and then suddenly it's like oh I've done 20 Munros, I'm going to go and climb more Munros specifically this weekend or whatever um, and then when I started seriously thinking about I think when I was in Edinburgh I probably that's probably when it sowed the seed for 282 but I hadn't really like properly considered it but you know it was kind of I just kind of thought oh, it'd be cool to do the Munro's and then I started being like oh it'd be quite cool to to do them together and like you know maybe cycling between them and I, I really like the kind of The purity of a like self-propelled journey like I do like the the thought of yeah you know covering everything under your own steam and you know my carbon footprint was great for those four months (laughs) um but um and then because I so I did my I did my mountain leader training the year before I did the Munro so I did the summer summer ML training um in the I think it was the October before I went to do the Monroe. So I think that was like a really useful like week of like properly being like, right, I know like I've got a good basis of what the skills are. And I was very like, you know, I was ready to do the training and stuff as well. And I think it was just um yeah, it gave me a lot more confidence in myself that, you know, especially from having had like I did the training down at Placey Brennan in, in Wales. Um and just kind of, you know, you're out with, you know, these really experienced MLs and instructors and stuff and just kind of the feedback that you get from them is really helpful. And just, you know, like because you're going through your skills and doing your navigation and doing wild camps and stuff. And, um, yeah, I think that was a key, like, point for giving me confidence. And then it also just meant that when I actually was doing the Munro, it, like, it was great for my logbook, for my ML. Whenever I, I went to do the assessment, I was like, well, no problem with the logbook. Um but yeah, it did, it really helped to have done that. And actually what I ended up doing as well is, so I I think I committed to doing, to doing them in the November before I set off. And it's quite funny, it's one of those things that you look back and you actually can pinpoint the moment that you made the decision, even if you hadn't quite realised that you made the mm. decision at the time. Um, but I actually told, I told my friends, the ones that I did that adventure race with, I told them that I was thinking about it. And I think as soon as I said, out loud to them that i was thinking about it i think that was kind of the point that i was like actually i'm going to make this happen Um, and i also knew that they were going to be like right so how are you going to make this happen Um, but yeah so after i told them i actually i then went up to cairngorms for i think i was in edinburgh for maybe like all kind of up in scotland for maybe like two weeks in november and i went up to cairngorms twice in that and did kind of two like three-day little trips in the and Gorms and kind of climbed some of the Munro's um, and went and stayed. I had like my first night in a bothy on my own and I went out and you know I had my tent with me and I had some pretty bad weather and you know November the days are really short um, and actually I had I had one pretty formative <laughs> pretty formative evening um that I'd started off from the Braemar side of the Cairngorms so I'd gone from the Lina D and then I walked over um and kind of took in like four Munro's um and over to like Angel's Peak and um Cairntool, and then down to Carrabothy which is like an awesome spot it's like properly in the heart of the Gangorms, so, like it's like the Larry grew which is the big like the u-shaped glacial valley that runs through the cairngorms between like avymore and braemar um so the korea Bothy is like bang in the middle of that it's like yeah there's nothing around for ages so it's a cool spot but i remember i got to the at uh, i think it was about half 10 11 at night and it was just a random tuesday night in november and you know it probably been dark from about four o'clock <laughs> and It was snowing up at the top. Like I got a bit lost in the dark and disorientated in the snow. And I remember I did have a bit of a like conversation with myself where one part of my brain was just being like, oh, just just sit down here and, you know, wait until the morning and it'll all be fine. And You know, I had to have the other part of my brain be like, you're an idiot, you'll die if you do that. Like, you'll literally just freeze and get hypothermia and someone will find your body in a week or something, Um, which sounds extreme, but, you know, that's actually quite feasible. And, you know, I probably hadn't been that good on... Like, I don't think I... I don't know if I'd given an exact route of where I was planning to go to anyone. Like, I'd kind of left a note in the car and stuff, but I think it probably would have been a while until Mm. people even sent out help kind of thing Yeah. Um, but yeah so I kind of was like right no, you've just got to sort yourself out and carry on and you know you've just done your mountain leader training last week or two weeks ago or whatever it was and you know just get your bearings work it out get down get to the bothy and- and yeah, and that's what I did. And actually, it's quite funny. I got into the bothy and there were these three guys who had just gone for like a night out um, and they had the fire going and they had the whiskey out and I like traipsed in at half ten at night. And They're just like, whoa, we weren't expecting anyone else. And I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting anyone to be here. And, you know, they had me the whiskey and um, and they were so lovely and, you know, made space and were super accommodating. And But actually, you know, kind of when I was doing it too. the following summer then I quite often would find you know if I had like say it was dark and I was a bit lost and I was like oh well at least it's not snowing or you know it was kind of by having kind of gone through that process in the November in bad weather then I was able to kind of yeah use that as a kind of tool to tell myself that well you know this is hard but that was worse and you got through that so you can get through this um yeah so I guess that kind of answers your question but maybe so I think yeah don't just go out and have no idea what you let yourself in for um, because I think that's probably like a a good way to set yourself up for failure but do go out and do something that scares you and that you don't know if you're going to be able to do it because that's where you can grow and that's where you'll you know get a lot of kind of learning experiences from it and I think you know a lot of the time the things that don't go to plan are where you learn a lot more than the things that just go exactly how you thought they would and you know you tick it off and that's done like
0: I also heard that on the outdoor fix that you've got yourself a van and just out of interest I was wondering is that to try and sort of get van life on the go with your nomadic lifestyle or is that just for staycations sort of van life if you're ever back in the country
1: I just move around quite a lot, as you say, quite nomadic. Mm. And I just felt like I just didn't really have a base anywhere. And it was kind of I think it was slight like starting to wear a bit thin. And also just from a practicality purpose, you know, I've got a road bike and a mountain bike. <laughs> um, when you're fitting those both into a golf, it's uh you don't have that much room left over and you can't really sleep there as well. I mean, I did manage it, but um yeah, I mean it it's good for kind of fitting all the toys in, but yeah, it's um I mean I think it's it's kind of hard to judge because I bought it last uh when did I buy it last October um like pre-covid and stuff so and then you know then obviously this year's been totally not what's been planned so I've actually made terrible progress with it um basically it had some shelves in it and I ripped them out and I put some sound deadening in and I've put in like a swivel thing in the front so that the passenger seat can spin around and that's pretty much all I've done so far. Um I think when I bought it I did kind of envisage maybe kind of living in it for a few months at a time but probably not like full-time full-time but at least just kind of feeling like I had a bit of a a little home on wheels um not like proper beautiful Instagram hashtag van life like I don't think it's ever going to be like that I think it's probably just going to have too much kit in it and you know like I've kind of the way I've been using it before is I basically last time I properly used it I went up to the north of Scotland and kind of when restrictions were a bit well much less strict than they are at the moment so when we were kind of we were still allowed to travel around Scotland and stuff I think I went up uh maybe this start of october end of september or something and she was out for like a maybe four days or something and i had my bikes with me and so the bikes take up one half of the van and i just had my like my thermarest down and um and i have a duvet and a pillow and you know that's kind of that's fine. i've got my little camping stove um and that does the job but
0: the good, yeah
1: yeah
0: <laughs> so uh, you've done a an Ironman in Wales, Barcelona, Nice, Bolton, and Zurich,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is so and many. Copenhagen. And Copenhagen now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did Copenhagen last year. Uh, well, 2019.
0: So the question is, which was your favourite? There's so many beautiful places. Which one was your favourite?
1: Um, if I was to do any of those ones again, I think I would pick Wales, um, which is perhaps an interesting choice because it's probably the toughest one but maybe that feeds into the choice um, but it's more just I mean the atmosphere in Wales is something else like it's like in the town of Tenby in Pembrokeshire and I don't know like Welsh people are great and Welsh people who are sitting in the pub on the streets cheering you on as you're going past on the run offering you beer as you're running past and being like I'm 15 hours in and this is horrible and what have I what why am I doing this um I think as well also because um Wales was my first one and I certainly am a much stronger cyclist since then and I think you know for me it was at the time it was just about kind of getting through it um but I would quite fancy going back and seeing like trying to push myself over certainly over the bike course and seeing how that would go I think that would be quite interesting but um but yeah I mean they're all like it's funny Man is a <laughs> it's a funny thing it's like it's expensive like there's no doubt about it it is expensive but they do it so well like however they do you know they've like they've got such a well-oiled machine to kind of arrive in a city pop up the whole thing like you know like have your village and your course and um and then just kind of the atmosphere that they somehow like get everyone kind of gets behind it and you know like the runs are always like it's like a lapped course so you might do like four laps of the same course and it probably isn't a very interesting course anyway but you've got loads of people and they're like I quite often find I'm terrible for kind of chatting at the crowd kind of thing. Cause it just like takes my mind off it, especially on the run. Like I'm just literally like, I'll be like waving and cheering and smiling and whatever the whole time and people are like, why are you smiling? You're doing an Ironman. It's meant to be painful. And I'm like, yeah, but I paid loads of money to come here. And like, I've taken holiday and I've like made the effort to get here and stuff. Like I'm not going to win it. So what does it matter if I take 10 minutes longer and actually enjoy it rather than just have a terrible time and still not win it, you know? Um, but yeah, so I quite often, you know, kind of seem to somehow like make make pals like, along the run course and just, you know, if there's like supporters who are like in a certain area and then you go past them four or maybe eight times on the run and you're just like, oh, hi. <laughs> um, I'm probably quite annoying. No, um, <laughs> not <but> at all. <laughs> no, the, they, are, they are really fun. And it's, I mean, the experience is kind of, yeah, it's something that I'd kind of said originally. I was like, right, I'm going to going to do one and then I decided I was going to do five like in kind of five years was my kind of goal and then yeah like I I slightly feel like I kind of retired from from Ironman but then I just like end up being like oh I'll just do it like so Copenhagen when I did that that was two years or yeah 2019 Um, and it wasn't really the goal in itself but I did another race that was a Ironman distance race it was in the Alps and I tried it two years before and I hadn't made the bike cut off. So I'd entered it again and I really, really wanted to finish that. Um, so Copenhagen kind of, I think it was maybe about six weeks out or something. So basically Copenhagen was kind of like my training race, um, but Evergreen was actually like the the priority and kind of finishing that was much more of a goal. Thanks,
0: and- really interesting firstly it's really interesting to choose wales that bodes well for a future question um but also that segue into evergreen i was going to ask what your motives were for for going back to evergreen Uh, it's that dnf isn't it
1: dnf yeah like (laughs) yeah it's like a red flag to a bull there (laughs) um it's funny because yeah evergreen the first so evergreen just kind of give a bit of background to the race like it's it's really like it's a small race it's a um, it's in really eco-friendly race like they they pride themselves on their kind of environmental like trying to be a low impact like low environmentally impactful race um, so you know there's none like no you know disposable like cups and all that kind of you know they yeah, really make an effort in terms of um, like carbon offsetting and just trying to be as environmentally friendly as I can. Um, but it is, it is a savage course. Like it, so it starts in Morsin, Um, and I've spent quite a lot of time in morzine So like Moorzine is kind of very close to my heart. So a race that kind of starts on home turf, effectively feels really nice. And the swims in a beautiful Alpine lake called Lac Montreal. Um, and the lake itself is just over a kilometer long so you kind of you swim up and down it there's four well you go up and back twice um and then you get on your bike and you ride over <laughs> every coal that they can find within the vicinity between morsey and chamonix and the bike the ascent on the bike it's over 5000 meters like it's it's brutal like um yeah I mean <laughs> it's quite it's a bit disgusting whatever you put into <laughs> say it like that um, and then you get to Chamonix and then you've got a run that's a marathon distance and you go up one side of the valley first um, on the side that the the Agui de Midi is on and then you come back down into Chamonix into the town and then you go up the other side of the valley and you know that the Run. I'm saying it very much in inverted commas because it's very much a hike. um But it was, you know, two two and a half thousand metres of vertical as well. So I mean, you're talking a race that over the whole race you've got over seven. Seven and a half thousand meters of vertical. Like, bear in mind, Everest is eight thousand eight hundred. Like, you know, you're not far off. Like, but getting into the highest base level.
0: camp, don't you? you you're you starting to look Lukla really at three thousand meters. So technically, you've, yeah. gone, you've gone. I mean, higher. you don't
1: you don't have the altitude to deal with. Though. Um, yeah, know, we'll, we'll
0: skip past that.
1: Death zone? What death <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so it's it's definitely not Everest. Don't don't try and make me sound like I'm uh, saying it's harder than climbing Everest because it's certainly not. But um, you see,
0: like I'll, I'll introduce this episode just going <laughs> like climbing Everest four times, essentially.
1: <laughs> <laughs> essentially, yeah. Um no, it's just I mean it's it's a big day. It's uh I kind of I'd kind of joke to people, I've said this quite a few times before about an Iron Man. Like, you know, an Iron Man is definitely a big achievement. But at the same time, like, I like to say, you know, it's it's a big day out. Like it's um, and it, it is fun. Like, you know, there's you, for me, Like I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not a fast, like, I'm not particularly fast. I just kind of I'm quite I keep going and keep going. I've got like a kind of diesel engine, I guess. Um, <laughs> But, you know, so for me, like in an Ironman, like a normal Ironman, I'm probably looking at maybe an hour and 20 minutes, an hour and a half of swimming and then get out and get on the bike. And, you know, you're maybe talking. I don't know I think my best time was somehow under six hours but realistically I think normal time I'm probably seven seven and a bit hours on the bike and then um then on the run well my my best uh like I'm distance run was four hours and two minutes not like I remember that one um <laughs> but I mean you know like it, it's not it's not a fast run like you know I'm probably more like in the on a flat course when I'm fit so I might be at about kind of four and a half you know getting on for that kind of time in the marathon so it's you know totally mid-table like um but evergreen I mean it's something else like the bike it's just like the first year I tried it in 2017 I had been in the apps all summer I've been working um on these uh, hiking and camping trips and every so each trip I worked on was a two-week trip and the clients would have three rest days on it and those rest days are effectively days off for me and every rest day for them I would go out and I'd ride my bike you know 120k 130k 140k in the Alps so you know I'm probably getting 2,000 of climbing kind of most rides I'd go on and stuff so mm. I was fit like 2017 is probably about the fittest I've been actually um Maybe not. I guess twenty eighteen. I was probably pretty fit, hill fit for the Munros, um, but I was pretty bike fit anyway in twenty seventeen. And you know, and then I came across like to Evergreen, and basically, I got so stung by the weather. Like the at the pre-race briefing the day before, they were like, ah, so. Forecast is pretty bad. There's snow on the forecast. We don't know how that's going to work for the run because the run goes up to kind of 2000, 2200 meters, maybe. Um, so actually, they ended up shortening the run to only a 10k because of the snow on the trails, but, um, but I didn't get to do the run because I <laughs> I basically stuffed myself in the swim. Um, like when I set off, when I turned around for the second lap, I could feel my temperature going just from like, I, I don't know if you've ever had it when you get so cold that you feel your core getting cold. And you know, it's one thing, your hands and feet getting cold, but your when your tummy is getting cold, that's not a good sign, especially when you know you're going to be in the water for another 40 minutes or something. And yeah, I remember getting out of the water and, um, I was actually, I was first girl out. I remember being told, you know, they're like, oh, you're the first girl. This is great. And I was like, oh, awesome. There were only five girls in the race. Like, let's not, (laughs) let's not make a big deal of it. But, um, but, you know, I got out and I was in transition and I couldn't get my wetsuit off. Like I was just so cold. I was shivering so badly. Like I needed somebody to help unzip me and, um, And then I was looking at, you know, when I do triathlon, I normally just like have like triathlon shorts and a top on underneath my wetsuit, take my wetsuit off, put my bike shoes on, put my helmet on, job's a good one, off you go. Um, It was, I can't remember what temperature it was, but it was raining, it was cold, it was wet. And I got out of my wetsuit and I'm still in my gear that I normally wear underneath. It was wet. And then I put my little jacket on and that was all I had. And then all the other girls come into the changing room and they all take off their wetsuits, dry themselves properly with their towels, like put on all their dry clothes, their leggings, all the of this. Fancy like,
0: warm gear. <laughs>
1: and I was like, I have totally underestimated this race. And, um, I actually say yeah, like normally on a triathlon you don't have your phone with you or anything but on this one because of the nature of the run being like a in the mountain trail run like a phone was kind of a mandatory bit of kit so I have my phone with me on the bike and I've got like one of those little quad locks so it's like on the front of my bike and um my sister was actually covering for me at work that day over in Chamonix and I messaged my sister as I set off on the first call and I'm cycling uphill like shivering so cold it's not a good sign if you're shivering going uphill um and I, I think I My sister and I was like, Lucy, I really need you to get me more clothes. Like, I I'm going to freeze. Like, I need some leggings, I need an extra base layer, maybe some new like some gloves, like just get what you can. And so she went into my tent and you know, got me out some leggings and stuff. She came and met me, I think 50, 50k in it was. So I'd gone over the first coal, which is actually the highest of the coals, or the or maybe it's it's the longest climb. I think it's the worst of the coals anyway. Um, so I got over that and got down to the bottom. And I remember I got to the aid station and I got off my bike and one of the rules is, you know, you're not allowed outside assistance. like, you're not allowed to be helped or whatever. And I got off my bike and I think, and then my sister kind of came over to me to like, give me a hug. And the, the, you know, the, stewards or whatever like oh no you can't touch her, you can't touch it and then they looked at me and I'm just literally just shaking all over and then actually then they all started coming over and they were all rubbing my back and stuff and I was like sat in a bus shelter with my sister trying to like get my leggings on and trying to put like a coat on and so and then I said to my sister I was like Lucy please can you can you go and buy me another coat because this coat is wet the whole way through and I just I just need another coat <laughs> and so my sister bless her she was such a superstar she just like went off in the car and bought me a coat I basically I just um, I think I'd got I'd finished like a, a trip that morning or something and I'd, I'd been given it or the day before or whatever and my clients had given me a tip and I was kind of like I was like Lucy I've got I've got this money please can you just go and use it to buy me a coat and I'm going to write to my clients after and tell them that I bought this coat with the money that they gave me. And yeah, so she went and got me a coat and um, met me a bit later. And she'd actually also got me a new base layer and some new gloves as well. So I got to put on a dry base layer and a new coat and she gave me some Harry it was great but it's such a savage ride and I just I think it's one of the main things that summer I've been getting really like confident with my descending and stuff so you know obviously in the Alps there's nothing that's flat and it's one thing climbing being a solid climber but if you're not making up the time on the descents as well then you know your average speed is pretty low um And obviously because it was so wet then like I just I was like I'm not prepared to risk an injury or something or you know risk coming off my bike because it's wet and I think as well I got a little bit spooked on the way down the first call somebody had had a really bad crash like come off like badly and there was an ambulance there and I mean they were fine in the end but I think they broke their wrist or something um but yeah I was definitely a bit kind of head game was like I'm not going fast on the descents And then suddenly, you know, this 180K or whatever it was ride with 5,000 meters of climbing and you're not making up the time on the descent so I was just up against the cutoff the whole time and then there was one coal that I remember coming up to the top of it and literally it's like the last kind of 2k like you can see the top of the coal but it's kind of like long like slog up to the top and honestly it felt like I was cycling into a wind tunnel like I've never had that kind of headwind on a climb and it was just and I got to the top and there was an aid station and they're like oh do you want to drink or anything and I was like do you have anything hot and they're like I mean I say do you have anything hot?" I was probably do you have anything hot I'm so cold and they were like no so I was like I'm getting into the restaurant that's right there and me and my sister like my sister caught up she was with me at this point you know with the car she'd basically been kind of coming around the whole bike course to kind of support me and so we went into the restaurant there was a fire and I sat next to the fire and we looked around and the restaurant was just full of competitors from the race and everyone's just sitting around just kind of I had two hot chocolates with cream um and all the other competitors who were sitting in that restaurant didn't get back on their bikes. But I was like, no, I am getting to Chamonix on my bicycle. <laughs> and, you know, the kind of the race, like the stewards and stuff, they're like, you're not going to make the cutoff. Like, you might as well just stop. And I'm like, "Nope, I don't care about the cutoff. I'm just going to get to Chamonix. Um, and yeah, so that's, that is what happened eventually. But I mean, yeah, I missed the cutoff by quite a long way. <laughs> probably about two hours, I think it was, yeah. Um, I think I was told that I'd like miss like one of the cutoffs like yeah probably about I don't know 30 40k out of sham and I was just like I'm not getting there by any other means than on my bike and you know at that point it was totally just me against myself I guess and just you know just trying to um yeah and I mean they the medics didn't really want me to do it basically they only agreed that I could stay on my bike because my sister was with me in the car and they were like she can only carry on if you promise that you will stay with her in the car and take her off her bike if she needs to be <laughs> and you know and it was getting dark like I had I had my lights with me but actually I think my lights ended up dying because I'd had them on for most of the day because it had been raining so then like I literally just had like my sister driving along behind me with the lights of the car just lighting me up and was quite surreal um but yeah so I mean when it was on again in 2019 I was like oh, I'm signing up and I just hope that the weather's not so bad um, and luckily it wasn't so I did manage to finish but it was uh it was still touching go I still was within about a minute of the bike cut off despite that time actually being able yeah. to cycle hard downhill
0: so um one thing I like about that is it's called evergreen which is such an innocent lovely pretty name <laughs> and it reminds me of uh, in the 80s uh, in the UK rock bands would uh they were getting they, Rock bands are starting to not be able to be booked for places because the the hall owners were thinking no no you guys go go kind of heavy you know like people yeah. dancing about they think it's like stuff's getting ruined and they used to there's a band called the hamsters and they're called the hamsters so that when they called a venue they go oh yeah and then what's your band name and you go oh we're the hamsters and then they go, oh sweet, yeah, come on down, blues, no worries. It's like it's blues rock, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, it sounds the same thing. It's like, oh yeah, it's evergreen, no worries, come on down, compete, yeah. it's fine. It's not
1: like any of this, like you know, like Iron Man, tough man, Celt man, like you know, yeah.
0: world's toughest mother. <laughs>
1: yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't try and be like. I think it does actually. If you read the the kind of blurb with it, I think it does say that it's a uh, pretty tough.
0: It, it's not and evergreen.
1: If you. <laughs> if you read the the race like the stats in terms of your uh, ascent a <laughs> distance i think you're kind of like yeah it's, it's fairly tough
0: so i've got a couple of questions before we look to wrap up uh, the first one is i know you're not very good with the cold <laughs> i also know especially given this chat we've had so far that you like pushing yourself Mm -hmm. would you ever consider doing the ice ultra in sweden which is 230 kilometers ultra race in winter in the arctic
1: i mean i'd never say never um yeah as you say i'm not great with the cold um it is kind of ironic i realize given my chosen profession as a ski instructor um because the cold is kind of necessary to that um I mean, I do think, you know, the kind of the old saying about there's no such thing as bad weather, it's just bad kit or, you know, the wrong kit. Yeah, Scandinavian Um, sort
0: of, no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong clothes, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I think, you know, like, obviously, if you're, if you know you're going somewhere super cold, like, you know, you just don't go there with terrible kit. And certainly over the years, it's like working in skiing and stuff, you know, I've got much better at being, I'd much rather spend the money on getting something good that I know is going to keep me warm. Um, So, first part, Scandinavia... In the cold, i uh, yeah, maybe 230 okay. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I'm actually doing this year, I've signed up for a few ultra races because I've not actually done any like kind of apart from, I guess, I guess, Evergreen's kind of like a mm. getting into the kind of ultra endurance stuff. Um, but I've not actually done any like kind of official like races over kind of longer than like yeah, like marathon distance, on distance. So, um I've signed up for a few this year that's kind of, I think, partly like with COVID and just kind of wanting to have stuff to aim for. And also the types of events that I feel are probably safe enough that they should be able to go ahead. And a kind of socially distanced form is the type that you go and run a really long way over a number of days. Um, so, uh Maybe I'll see how those ones go and then let you know. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I doing. I've signed up for two 125-kilometre ones that are both over, like, two days. So it's kind of 75K on the first day and 50K on the second day. And the first one of those is worryingly close. Like, it's in May. So, yeah, I mean, I've signed up for another one that's uh, – 250k over 5 days through the desert in october um that's in uh it's in jordan yeah. and i've never been to jordan before it sounds awesome but it yeah. also sounds terrifying and now i'm also like i don't know if i if it's realistic that travels going to
0: october like, hopefully
1: yeah i mean that's what i'm hoping it's just i mean
0: if you look at scotland's rules um, a quick interjection. Um, <laughs> Scotland actually said before we went into this mo- most recent lockdown that they said that you're not allowed into Scotland, and then they listed a load of varying reasons. And one of them was training for a competitive sport. So it may be that competitive sports have some sort of um, leeway, some sort yeah. of uh, exemption from from the rules, as opposed yeah. to saying I want to go to Jordan and party with people
1: yeah so it's a funny one because it's like I mean realistically I'm not going to be being competitive and I don't you know I definitely don't feel like above (laughs) above the rules or anything like that and I I don't want to look for kind of uh loopholes or anything you know like that but yeah I'm, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic like I think the race itself will probably be able to go ahead it's just kind of whether I need to then factor in two week at the moment if you travel to jordan there's a two week quarantine um and you know if you've got a quarantine for two weeks on the way there then um i mean to be honest i think it's probably still doable anyway because you know like with remote working and stuff it's like if you're remote working from a quarantine hotel room in jordan for two weeks or if you're doing it from your flat in edinburgh what difference does it make so
0: so last question before we look to wrap up which is that you've always said that you or uh, well, more recently I suppose since you've chosen that sort of adventure life is that you want to live a life that you don't want to get away from so with that in mind what's one moment in your adventure career that you would love to relive?
1: Oh, a moment to relive um oh, geez that's I mean it's such a good question and the worst thing is is I totally thought you probably would ask it because I have listened to some of your <laughs> other ones and I was like what what answer will I give if he asks me this <laughs> and honestly I'm so bad because I could kind of you could ask me this question on 10 different days and I'd give you 10 different answers um, and the thing isn't it <laughs> I know I think I mean can I give two answers is that a bit
0: Uh, i'll I'll check with the jury but i'm sure it'll be fine yeah good uh
1: so i think one would be um so i've climbed mont blanc at three times and the first time I did it the weather was pretty awful and we got to the summit and it was like being inside a ping pong ball and I definitely wouldn't want to relive that one but the second time was just like everything kind of just fell together and we had perfect weather really nice company it didn't feel that tough because I'd kind of been like really well acclimatized and spent like the summer in the Alps and just like and it was just amazing and actually a real highlight was the night before the summit we were staying in um, the Tetrous refuge and just the kind of sea of clouds underneath us and the sunset and just like oh was just just amazing like one of those things that you know it's like and also from knowing knowing the area quite well like I could kind of like look over and be like oh there's that peak that's peeking out of the clouds there that's like this bit or that's that and that's you know and just oh like yeah just like sea of clouds I think and the other the other one I was actually thinking of is up in during 282 in, in the in northwest Scotland up in the highlands um when I was in the mountains known as the fish fields and they are like really remote they're um basically up there you're up uh it's not too far from Ullapool um just a little bit south of Ullapool and the fish fields are yeah I mean they are a cracking day out it's it's five munroes now it used to be six but one of them got demoted poor poor little munro it just slipped under it got remeasured and it got demoted to a Corbet. but um but they're amazing hills and i'd gone um yeah i just had the most incredible day up with them and that was one that you know it was it was a big day and i ended up like i was still up high at sunset and again it was like sea of clouds and just yeah just these amazing colours and just I don't know there's something just so special about kind of that feeling of like being at the top of a mountain or like on a mountain and being like above the clouds and above Mm. the weather and stuff it's just oh amazing um yeah
0: (laughs) amazing that sounds so picturesque perfect
1: yeah I mean the one like at Tetreuse like when we were there you know we were kind of preparing ourselves for for a summit bid the next morning so you know on the summit bid you set off at I think we had breakfast at 2am or something so you know you get a really early night the night before um and you know we're sitting around and we'd actually we'd each brought a can of beer up with us and you know we we're having quite a relaxed time and we're wearing our little uh crocs that you get in the refuges and just like sitting around and just like everyone who was in the refuge was just like out like just enjoying being there in nature and honestly like the clouds you know sometimes clouds just look so fluffy you feel like you could just dive into them and it would just be like this big like fluffy spongy kind of bed yeah. thing that you just yeah it was that like oh so good
0: <laughs> so wrap up questions you grew up in northern ireland yeah. despite your accent what's one place in northern ireland that you would love to go and explore
1: oh there's actually this is this is quite sad but i you know i'm so bad for overlooking the things you can do and I, th- I guess it's probably the same as everyone but you know it's so easy to overlook the things on your doorstep and um i guess you know COVID's and lockdown probably actually helped a lot of people explore what is on their doorstep but i you know I, i'm not i'm not at home at the moment i'm not at my parents house but um i definitely said you know there's kind of there's things that i really want to do in northern ireland because i just i haven't done a big trip there um I'm quite a big Game of Thrones fan. So there's part of me that actually really wants to go and see some of the filming locations from Game of Thrones, maybe kind of sort out some like work out a bike route that kind of takes me down like um, some of the, through like some of the Game of Thrones um, yeah, set locations and stuff. I think that would be quite cool actually.
0: That, that, that would make for a really, really cool thing to follow on that sort of social media as well. Just like, right, maybe dress Tuesday up tomorrow, as I Stark or something. <laughs> yeah. So, If Scotland wasn't available, and this is that question, if Scotland wasn't available, which would you do first? The Lakes or Snowdonia National Park? Snowdonia. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure some people are going to be like, what? But I actually, I totally love North Wales. Yeah, um, don't get me wrong, I do have a lot of time for the lakes. Um, I just feel the lakes quite often feel more Busy, although maybe i shouldn't say that having seen snowden on a saturday before um, <laughs> <laughs> but perhaps steer clear of snowden itself and just yeah like there's some some other really cool stuff in snowden
0: National park perfect and then the last question the last wrap-up one is where can we keep up to date with your adventures so far
1: Uh, probably Instagram is the the best bet Um, I yeah it's at Adventure Scotty uh, on Instagram and yeah that's probably where I'm most uh, frequent at using I keep talking about writing blogs and stuff but then I hate every word I write so um, yeah BritishAdventureCollective.com. There might eventually be a blog there. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are blogs by other people, and there are nice blogs there, but there's nothing written by me as yet, and I uh, get into trouble for it on a regular basis.
0: <laughs> and the British Adventure Collective, as well, is is something I think people should just generally go and check out anyway, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's kind of. Um, it's a, a group of us kind of aiming to like showcase kind of the best uh, adventure available, not necessarily just in like in the British Isles, but you know also further afield. It's just kind of started because we are all British, and that's kind of <laughs> where it kind of stemmed from. There is certainly a, a large focus on on British adventures and stuff. So, you know, it's kind of um, there's a lot of, like beautiful photography and stuff there, and some stories, and um, and then in in less COVIDy times, hopefully we're uh put on some weekends and some adventure experiences and stuff so kind of yeah keep an eye on it and uh yeah once we once we can release things properly then uh yeah there'll be more info there
0: brilliant well hey thank you so much for coming onto to the podcast it is it's been everyone it's been like such <laughs> a pleasure just like chatting adventure and chatting about what you've done and your huge adventure CV so yeah thanks for coming on
1: that's all right thank you so much for having me yeah it's been it's been really fun to kind of talk about it and relive some of it and remember there is life beyond COVID
0: <laughs> really really hope you enjoy that interview uh, at least as much as I did doing the interview and I hope you stop by next week too, uh, as many of you will be for the Project 282 episode where we're going to chat a bit more in depth about her adventure, four-month-long adventure in Scotland. So check back in for that. Let me know what you think of the episode two on btmtravelpod at gmail.com or follow the social links. They're all in the show notes too. In news of the community, some fantastic feedback recently, I forgot to mention it on the Ian Finch episode, and also on the Road to Denali announcement last week, if you haven't listened to that, go back one episode down, or if you're on Spotify, it might be at the top if I make it the trailer, go and check it out, let me know what you think about it as well, quite a big announcement and it's going to be my way of getting value back to you, so let me know what you think of that too, but otherwise, Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a fantastic day.